Hey, it's Alexis Asadi, and welcome to episode 36 of Income Investing, a show that explores different investments that produce income and or dividends. Today, we're going to cover a type of investing strategy and funds that employ it called dividend growth investing. It's a pretty popular method for people that want to generate cash flow from their portfolios. In fact, there's a good chance that you yourself have used it, even if this is your first time hearing about it. As always, thanks for spending your time with me on this podcast. If you haven't tuned in before, my name is Alexis, I'm your host, and this show covers any kind of asset that can generate revenue, including real estate investment trusts, dividend stocks, peer-to-peer loans, crowdfunding, real estate, mortgage lending, and much, much more. So income investing is a strategy that many of us love because of its various benefits. First, you can use the dividends to offset your real-life expenses, so it's got utility. Second, a lot of these investments can also appreciate in value, so you can enjoy the best of both worlds. You can earn both passive income and realize a capital gain. Third, you can find income investments in practically any sector, including in real estate, financial services, energy, natural resources, and utilities. So you can build a very well-diversified investment portfolio that also produces a significant amount of cash flow. And fourth, many of these investments can be purchased for under a few hundred dollars, As such, they're quite affordable. To make it easy for everyone to follow, I've divided this podcast into various segments. The first segment, which spanned from episodes 2 through 9, covered the Real Estate Investment Trust, or REIT. The second one went from episodes 10 through 22, where we talked about mortgage lending. And we are now in our third segment, which is all about investment funds. So if you want to get caught up, I would recommend beginning from episode number 23, which was our introduction to investment funds. Thus far, we've seen that investment funds can be a deep source of income-producing opportunities. A fund is a business that raises money from multiple investors, sometimes a few, sometimes a few thousand, and then it deploys their capital into various assets with the goal of generating a financial return for them. For example, the fund might invest into a group of stocks or bonds or into real estate. There is a fund out there for virtually any kind of asset that you can think of. Now, some funds don't focus on specific assets. Instead, they might concentrate on strategies such as generating income for investors or short selling. Maybe they'll focus on derivatives trading, capital preservation, speculation, or otherwise. But the main premise behind an investment fund is that you can place your money with an experienced money manager who is presumably adept at whatever you're looking for. So last week, I gave the example of where I myself don't know too much about investing in gold, So if I wanted to get exposure to that commodity, I might put my money into a gold fund instead of trying to do it myself. Like I said, an investment fund will have a manager who will charge a management fee to the fund. It's usually calculated as a percentage of the fund's assets under management, or AUM. They'll usually get a performance bonus as well. So investors' returns are a function of how well the fund's investments are doing, minus fees. If the fund generates a return of 10% and the fees amount to 3%, then investors would have made 7%. The first specialized investment fund that we looked at was the mortgage fund. This type will either lend money directly to borrowers, or it'll purchase mortgages on the debt market. Now, given the nature of lending, since interest payments are made monthly, mortgage funds are often good income investments that pay on a monthly basis. We also looked at how the US and Canadian governments will use entities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Canada Housing Trust 
to improve their respective real estate markets. Basically, we saw that they add liquidity to the mortgage markets. After that, we got into real estate funds, which either invest directly into real estate or they own real estate companies like REITs. We saw that real estate funds that produce income will usually own rental properties rather than raw land and other speculative properties. From there, we looked at single-asset real estate companies. These are not investment funds, but they do share some similarities. In essence, the company is formed for the purpose of raising money from investors, and then it's used to acquire or develop a specific property. So the main difference from a real estate fund or a REIT is that those two will usually own an entire portfolio of properties, whereas the single-asset real estate company is created for just one project, and then it's dissolved once it's all over. We then spent two episodes on ETFs, or exchange-traded funds. These are investment funds that trade on the stock market. They're usually characterized by having low management fees because they're meant to be passive investments. So the ETF chooses an index to track, like the price of silver or the value of the Toronto Stock Exchange, and then it aims to replicate its performance. We also saw that ETFs can be leveraged, where they try to copy the performance of the index plus an extra 100 or 200%. As well, they can move backwards or opposite from that index. So if the index goes down, the fund goes up. And these are called inverse ETFs. And then there's also a combination of the two where you can have leveraged inverse ETFs. Then last week, we explored index funds, which are similar to ETFs. However, they are mutual funds and they do not trade on the stock market. We compared the two and we saw that investors with smaller sums of capital are often better served by index funds as opposed to ETFs. And so now we're going to build on all of that information that we've gained in the past few months, and we're going to talk about the Dividend Growth Fund. But before we do so, let's get to a question from one of our listeners. Today we have a message from Kai, who is in Markham, Ontario. And remember, I always encourage you to submit a question of your own just by going to alexisasadi.net slash podcast. It's super important for me because it makes sure that I'm producing content that people want to hear about. So Kai wrote me the following. Hey Alexis, why do fund managers get compensated by assets under management? Why not just pay them a fixed salary just like any other job? So Kai, thanks for your question. Uh, You know, a fund can pay its managers however it wants, but you're right in that it's usually done through AUM or assets under management. So if the fund is worth $500 million and it's got a management fee of 2% each year, then the manager is earning $10 million. Now, the logic behind this is that the manager is incentivized to grow the portfolio as much as possible. The bigger the portfolio, the more assets it has under management, and then the better the fund is performing and the more money the manager earns. If you look at it the other way, where you paid them a fixed salary, what would happen if the fund did nothing but lose money? If there was a $500 million fund and then went down to $50 million, wouldn't you want the manager to get paid less as well? Now, keep in mind that the manager is often a company that has regular operating expenses. So the people who physically manage the fund might be employees of that company, and they might receive a fixed salary, which is paid out of the 2% management fee. A lot of the time, it's not actually a man or a woman who's making that 2%. There are professional fund management companies with employees who administer a stack of different investment funds. All right, great question, Kai. Thanks for asking. Let's now move on to dividend growth funds. Dividend growth investing is a strategy of buying companies that have raised their dividends over the years, and they would presumably continue to do so. For example, there's a famous list of stocks on the S&P 500 that's known as the Dividend Aristocrats, and they've raised their dividends each year for the past 25 years. 
Some of them include Walmart, Chevron, AT&T, and Cisco. So these would all be considered dividend growth stocks. A good dividend growth portfolio can not only give investors plenty of income, but it can also cause their cash flow to increase over time. As companies push up their dividends, it would obviously translate into escalated revenue for their shareholders. Aside from making more money, one of the benefits is that it provides a built-in mechanism to protect against inflation. The dividends can offset the effects of rising prices of goods and services, which in North America happens at a rate of around 2% each year. As such, it's a particularly attractive strategy for retirees who will often live on a fixed income. If inflation protection was especially important to you, then you would probably look for companies that can raise their dividends by at least the same rate. In theory, the correct use of a dividend growth portfolio forces the investor to pick high-quality companies. A business that raises its dividends is ostensibly becoming more and more profitable. After all, dividend payments are supposed to be made from a company's cash surplus. If the company has more cash, then that may be because it's performing better. So growing dividend payments would indicate improved operations and profitability. However, investors run into trouble when they build a portfolio on dividend growth alone, without looking at what's underneath the hood. There are a couple of items that are important to consider. First, a company might increase its cash or its cash flow by borrowing money. So while it may pay out a growing dividend, its balance sheet could become bloated with debts. This sometimes happens when investors put pressure on it to make large dividend payments when it might make more financial sense to do something else with the money. Therefore, it'd be wise to look at whether the business is truly becoming more profitable and how it's doing so. A metric to analyze is the dividend payout ratio, which is the percentage of a company's profits that is paid out to investors in the form of a dividend. Basically, it tells you how much of its profit a business is paying to investors. Second, as the old mantra goes, a company's past performance does not predict its future. A business could have raised its dividend every quarter for the past 20 years, but that does not guarantee that it will next year. It's critical to make sure that the company operates in a space with a bright path ahead. In order for a dividend growth stock to remain as such, at least in the long term, it would presumably have to be in an industry that is also growing. Now, as we know, one of the advantages of investment funds is that you can rely on the experience of a manager. So if you aren't comfortable with analyzing individual stocks for a dividend growth strategy, then you could invest in a dividend growth fund. As it happens, there are plenty of them. I'm going to list six, and as usual, I'll include their names in the episode description, so don't worry about trying to remember them. To begin, there's an ETF called the Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF. It seeks to track the performance of the NASDAQ U.S. Dividend Achievers Select Index. It's a $72 billion fund that owns around 180 stocks, most of which are large-cap companies. So it's got positions in Microsoft, McDonald's, Pepsi, and Costco. And the management fee is only 0.08%. That is tiny. There's another one called the Wisdom Tree International Quality Dividend Growth Fund. This one tries to track the investment results of dividend-paying companies with growth characteristics in the developed world, excluding Canada and the United States. Its highest exposure is to the UK and to Japan, but it also invests in Israel, Portugal, Hong Kong, and Finland, plus another 15 or so countries. The fund's management fee is 0.38%, so quite a bit higher than what Vanguard charges. There's a mutual fund offered by TD called the Dividend Growth Fund. It has an objective of providing a high level of after-tax income and steady growth by investing primarily in high-quality, high-yield equity securities and other income-producing instruments of Canadian issuers. It's got the classical Canadian holdings like major banks and energy companies, which make up about 80% of its portfolio. 
Now, the minimum investment for this one is only $100. However, the management fee is over 2.03%. As well, there's an ETF called the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats, which is managed by ProShares. It's the only ETF that focuses exclusively on companies in the S&P 500 that have grown dividends for at least 25 consecutive years. The index that it follows has outperformed the S&P 500 with lower volatility since its inception. The fund is highly diversified, with no company comprising more than 2.5% of its portfolio. ProShares also offers the S&P Midcap 400 Dividend Aristocrats ETF. This fund focuses on medium-sized stocks that have grown their dividends for at least 15 years in a row. And finally, Wisdom Tree has a fund called the U.S. Small Cap Quality Dividend Growth Fund, which invests in smaller stocks with growing dividends. Now, one of the drawbacks of dividend growth funds is that there's a relative lack of diversity. You'll notice that a lot of them invest in massive, well-established corporations because of how well they can fit the dividend growth portfolio. Not only does the company need to be profitable, but it needs to have enough spare cash to increase payments consistently. As such, the list of options dwindles when you start looking for small and mid-cap companies. These businesses usually need their cash, and they don't want to pay it out to investors. Since you're mostly working with bigger stocks, there's less potential for capital appreciation. Some income investors care about this more than others, but it's still worth noting. All right, so let's leave it at that for now. Next week, we're going to talk about international income funds. Until then, I encourage you to visit my website and download my free guide called The Simple Guide to Building Passive Income. It's available at alexisasadi.net. Thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you next Wednesday.